life, and it's ending one minute at a time. I was blind, but now I see. Working jobs we hate, so we can buy shit we don't need. Ideas are brutal. If you had one shot, everything I'd ever read, heard, seen was now organized and available. Now you fucking khakis. Life moves pretty fast. The Biohacking Secret Show. Dr. Kashi Azad, welcome to the Biohacking Secret Show. Thank you very much for having me on the show. I'm very excited to chat with you. I'm excited to chat with you too. I've uh, I've been following your your Instagram account at Persian Yoga for a while, and uh, I, I've been fascinated by some of the workouts that I see you doing. You know, as a I, I was a yoga practitioner and teacher for a long time, but but what you do with Persian Yoga is very different, and it's it's combining a lot of these unconventional training implements that I've seen with uh, different different clubs and shields and, and, and things like that, where, um, from my understanding, it, it, it's, it's essentially the world's oldest martial arts conditioning system. Is that accurate? Uh, that's correct. And that's not according to me. That's according to, uh, UNESCO. Uh, that's the United Nation education, something, something, I forget the abbreviation, what it stands for. So it is registered uh, or uh, recognized as the world's oldest uh, conditioning system. Uh, it uh, is a very, uh, you know, ancient method and system. So you mentioned that we use unconventional uh, tools and um, methods, but I would like to say that they were the conventional methods of training for I was just thousands thinking of that. years. You know what I, I mean? was just thinking that it's it, that's yeah. that's the whole Western medicine flip where they start calling everything that's been around forever like unconventional medicine or alternative medicine, and I'm like, wait, everything that you call that was around way before Western medicine. So I, I apologize. I did. I, I, no, I did no, the, no I did the inversion. I just wanted to like <laughs> add that to that. But yeah, uh, but today, uh, I mean, if we. Again, uh, you mentioned Western medicine. I guess there's some uh, a good analogy and parallel there. Uh, Western um, approach to conditioning, uh, strength conditioning, I guess, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, would be primarily based on bodybuilding techniques. And uh, that's like kind of like a paradigm that uh, has, has existed since the, I don't know, 60s, 70s kind of thing, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, whereas uh, this method of uh, conditioning, which was very function based, very, very result and outcome oriented, uh, has been around uh, in various forms in different regions of the world uh, for many, many, many years. Uh, in fact, thousands of years. Uh, and uh, there are, I guess, different versions um, and perhaps and maybe that's interesting to talk about that at a later stage uh, that exists in uh, India um, and also uh, around the lands adjacent to Iran because this is where uh, this particular uh, method and system that uh, I am involved with, uh, namely Pahlavani, which I refer to as uh, Persian yoga, um, mm -hmm. is um, basically coming from. So uh, that's, and that's spelled P-A-H-L-A-V-A-N-I for the people that, that want to kind of dig a little bit deeper and, and, and research some of the history. So um, how, what, why was this originally developed? Was it, was it for battle? Was it for aesthetics? What, you know, can you tell me a little bit about the origin of, of, of Persian yoga in that, in that, uh, in, in Iran? Cool, cool. Yeah, very cool. Um, what we know uh, is that 
this method, this art, uh, dates back to what is known in the West as the Parthian Empire. These were Iranian people that uh, essentially uh, come to the historical stage. They've been there for um, you know since the beginning, but they they're dom they assert their dominance uh, by um, you know kicking out the Greek Macedonian invaders from Iran. This is after the uh, conquest of uh, Alexander of um, Macedon. He um, conquers uh, the first Persian Empire. And, uh, you know, they're there for a good amount of time, but uh, they eventually get kicked out by these uh, Iranian people that are uh, collectively known as the Parthians in the West. There's a little bit of a problem with that because uh, it, it was a much larger confederation of people. But essentially, for convenience sake, we refer to them as the Parthians. So these people are on the stage around uh, 250 BC. You know, they come on, uh, they come onto the scene. And uh, we can uh, date back this uh, art and system to that era because uh, they are referring to themselves as the Pahlavan and they're referring to their uh, chivalric code or the code of warriors as the Pahlavani um, uh, way. Uh, and I guess there's a lot of clues and uh, insight in the name itself. So if I just uh, flesh that out uh, a little bit, you will understand better, uh, you know, why this came about and uh, what it is for. So these people refer to themselves as the Pahlavan. In fact, that word is also attested to in uh, the uh, Hindu scriptures of the Ramayana, Mahabharata and uh, certain Puranas uh, that they're referring, you know, so we have other people referring to these people by the same name, right? And then we have the Greek sources as well that they're referring to these people, uh, etc. And later on, uh, Roman uh, historians and uh, encounters, you know, because uh, just as a side note, the Romans and the Parthians, which were Iranian people, uh, fought the second longest war in human history that of around 680 years of continuous warfare. So 680. Yes. Yes. That's what it was like before guns, huh? Guns and bombs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, we're talking about the Roman Empire versus like the second versus the third uh, Persian empires. Anyway, um, so what, uh, what we're talking about here are warriors, knights, champions. And that's what that word means. A pahlavan is the amalgamation of the English words warrior, hero, and a knight. Mm. and a champion. So they're referring to themselves as such. Uh, in fact, the Hindus are referring to them as uh, Kshatriyas, and this is uh, a word that they use in the Hindu system or the ancient Aryan uh, tradition of, um, you know, having caste systems, how people were uh, divisioned into different castes. And mm. the Kshatriya caste would be the warrior caste, right? And then you had the Brahmins, which were the religious people. And then you had the Vaishyas, which basically was the merchants and farmers and everyone else. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But uh, the Hindus themselves refer to these uh, Pahlavans as the Kshatriya Pungava. And that is attested in the Hindu Puranas, um, the Vayu Purana, in fact. And that word means the foremost of the warriors. 
So they mm. were referred to as the foremost of the warriors. And this was the Pahlavani that they referred to themselves, the Pahlavan or the Pahlavani, E-I at the end, uh, means that it is the way of becoming mm. a hero, a champion, or a knight. It's their mm -hmm. way. So essentially, like if you put it in the Eastern context, it's kind of like the Tao of. Mm -hmm. See what I'm saying? So it's like it's a, it's, a, it's a path that you walk and a way of Correct. life in order exactly. to become... The, the, the tip of the spear, the, 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 the highest expression of warrior. The foremost of the warriors. Exactly, exactly. And um, so uh, that's, that's kind of like where we can trace this art uh, back to. Uh, in our uh, oral tradition, uh, we believe that it extends further back in history than that. But we definitely have references, resources, textual mentions of these uh, guys and this way from round about that time. So 250 BC sometime. Okay. And um, uh, from there, uh, it kind of like obviously evolved and developed and has been around uh, to this day. And that's what makes it uh, the world's oldest continuously, uh, you know, continuously running form of uh, martial arts conditioning. Mm -hmm. And the um, purpose and function was very, very simple. And that was essentially to forge, as I said, the foremost or the ideal warrior. And um, that is uh, also a very interesting concept because then what is this ideal warrior, you know? Uh, and in our uh, system or in our uh, way, we do believe that there is no separation between the spirit and the body, that yeah. the spirit and the body are different ends of the same spectrum so that you then have to... Um, train and develop this uh, individual and forge them into this uh, um, ideal warrior through a physical and spiritual uh, approach. And I just got to add something to that is that often in the West, we heard the term mind, body and spirit, but mm -hmm. we don't make a differentiation like that. For us, it's just the body and the spirit because the mind or the intellect is housed in the body. Yeah. It, I, I almost feel like some of that paradigm gets people stuck in their head rather than supporting the actual reflection of reality, which is, yeah, we've got a physical body and we have a spirit. Um, very interesting. Okay, so I, I want to go into both the physical approach, which which includes Persian yoga and that training, and then, of course, the the, the spiritual training that accompanies that. I'm curious, though, a lot of our listeners have probably – seen the movie 300 where we we see the battle of thermopylae and the the narrative that we're told is king xerxes who was the king of iran we see him invading greece and then the spartans fighting him off you know uh, who are greatly outnumbered <clears throat> the where does that fit into the history of persian yoga and because, I mean, it seems like everyone was, the, the Greeks were invading the Iran, the, the Persians were invading Greece. Can, can you give us just like a little bit of context there in, in, in uh, light of, you know, the, the Hollywood narrative that we all know? 
Sure, sure, sure. And I guess like uh, to start with, I can say that the Hollywood narrative is completely false, obviously. And um, uh, they have their own <laughs> agenda, I guess. These are just Hollywood movies and uh, in fact, not based in history whatsoever. And there are other historians who may be able to answer these questions much more accurately uh, than I, but I'll do my best based on um, my own inform information and um, mostly it will be my own opinion, okay? So uh, the um, Battle of Thermopylae and the 300, uh, we know by now that uh, the textual sources that survived from Herodotus, who's been called the father of uh, Western history, who's also been called the father of the lies because um, um, he greatly exaggerated his, his accounts and they were written like some 300 years after the actual event. And uh, mm. so it's very hard to kind of like confirm that. We do know that that battle did occur and uh, we also know the outcome of that. Were the numbers correct? I, I sincerely doubt that. But uh, nevertheless, it is a very... Um, beautiful almost and very um, like important event in history that obviously we're still fascinated uh, by to this day. Uh, now, in regards to how it impacted Pahlavani and Persian Yoga, I got to say that uh, these events obviously happened um, before. Uh, so this is during the reign of the first Persian Empire, which were uh, known as the Achaemenid Persian Empire. And these are the guys that fought uh, uh, the Greeks a lot. And as a consequence of that later, um, uh, Alexander of Macedon, uh, you know, uh, fought the Persians and invaded and then defeated the Achaemenid Persians. And he established his dominion over uh, uh, the Iranian lands until the Parthians came on the scene. And these are the people that I refer to. And then uh, we know by textual sources that they are referring to themselves as uh, Pahlavon and the Pahlavoni system really came from them. Is this the guy that history refers to as Alexander the, the Great? Yeah, yeah. In Iran, obviously, we don't refer to him as the Great. Of course, because of course. He came I just, yeah, yeah. No, no, I have, I have no opinion of the guy. I just wanted to make sure. I actually appreciate you leaving that out. <laughs> I think I, th I think that's important. Uh, I just wanted to make sure for our listeners that they... You know, For sure. you know, we were talking about the, the, that Alexander, you know, what, yeah, like 21, uh, 21 or something like that, you know, when he was. Yeah, no, I get stuff. it. We refer to him as Alexander the Macedonian because that's yeah, where yeah. he was from. Yeah. Anyway, I, I, uh, so um, long story short is basically that uh, those events, you know, uh, would have, and this is from our oral tradition, would have greatly, or that kind of atmosphere would have greatly, um, you know, impacted the development of this warrior uh, hood. Because here's an important, uh, here's an important uh, aspect of this. This knightliness, this warriorhood was usually, I mean, when you think about a knight, you think about this armored guy with a lance and a mace and a sword, etc., on a horse. That's what mm -hmm. we imagine, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, this is very important because Iranians are historically known as the people of iron and the horse. The mm. horse was domesticated in Iranian lands. Metallurgy evolved in this area. And uh, so you get the first, uh, you know, scale armor, you get the first male armor, you get a chain ring mail. I mean, you get the this first. Is even, this uh, is even before the Mongols? Much, much before. Much, really? thousand years before. 
a thousand really? years before. Like just to put it in a kind of like a timeline, a uh, very, very quick succession of events here. I'm, I'm covering like 2000 years. It's first, uh, you know, a Persians are always there or the Iranians are always there. So first they're fighting the Greeks, then they're fighting the Arabs, invaded by the Arabs, then they're fighting the Turks, then they're fighting the Mongols. And this is around 1300 AD. Mm. Okay, so I fast forwarded from uh, 500 BC to basically 1380. So there's a long time span there uh, before the Mongols come on the stage, right? Yeah. And um, in fact, this, we're going to come back to this Mongol invasion because it actually um, forms Pahlavoni or Persian yoga training as we know it today because of the Mongol invasion. So it's kind of mm. like uh, important, uh, that event. But just going back a little bit in history and talking about the first night. So we're saying that, you know, the horse was domesticated in uh, Iran. The iron, um, you know, metallurgy was um, uh, evolved uh, there. And so you got the first scale armor, male armor and the mounted knights. You have to uh, acknowledge that, you know, the Greeks, Macedonians, and to a large extent, also later, the Romans relied on infantry, whereas mm -hmm. the Iranians relied heavily on these uh, mounted knights. We, uh, and they're known for being uh, great uh, archers, horseback archers. And, um, you know, their battle tactics was uh, very much around, you know, uh, breaking down the lines, circling them with mounted knights and just like picking them off one by one like that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I refer to these Parthians and their method of horseback archery, which was before the stirrup was invented, right? They would uh, ride the horse, control the animal with their legs, have both hands free so they could shoot with the bow and arrow. And they were Whoa. so accurate that they could turn around as they are like feigning a retreat, they would turn around and shoot their enemy down. And this is still used in English language today and is known as the Parthian shot. And the Parthian shot, for those who are not aware of this uh, expression, it's kind of like an old English expression. It means like, you know, like, you know, when you're having a debate or an argument with someone and you like saying, all right, okay, whatever, I'm done, I'm leaving. And just as before you leave the room, you turn around and you say something really nasty and slam the door and yeah. walk away. Just to get the last That's word That's what they refer to in the English language as a Parthian shot. And I just gave you <laughs> the history of where that comes from. It comes from these people that uh, would feign a retreat on horseback. The Greeks, etc., would chase them and they would turn around and shoot them down. So, so are, these, are, they, point, are they riding bareback doing this? So they're like, no, they're the riding. No, the saddle is invented by that time. Okay, so but they the have a saddle, but no stirrups. Okay. Right. I mean, it's still very impressive. And of course, as I mentioned, <laughs> they already invented the scale armor and the ring mail armor. So we're getting the first knights, right? Mm -hmm. And um, uh, again, like fast forwarding through history in the Western context, we know about uh, these knights from the um, uh, mythology and the stories of the round table and King Arthur and the, you know, medieval knights, etc. But that archetype of the knight existed a thousand years before that in Iran and they were referred to as Pahlavan which means again as I said the ideal champion knight right mm -hmm. so those events were between the Greeks and the uh, Persians 
would have, um, you know, led to that because they adopted a large, um, uh, what do you call, cavalry. That was a big part of their army. And uh, so they had methods for training these people. You have to uh, think that uh, it was a feudal system where you had at the um, top of the pyramid or the hierarchy, you had the king of kings who had, uh, there were like minor states that they had their own kind of like ruler. And that person was responsible of uh, providing warriors to the king of king and backing him up in his campaigns and wars, etc. So they had a system in place to uh, develop and train normal, ordinary people to be able to become uh, these warriors that they uh, also, um, you know, use during wartime. And um, of course, also, it was the way of those uh, chivalric feudal lords or knights that also, you know, uh, gained favor and land, etc. And uh, yeah, it's very Game of Thrones, if you know what I mean. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm digging it. So, all right, I'm curious. Let's go to the point right before the emergence of of Persian yoga and this class of of warriors. There's like a, a saying that I I enjoy, especially because I see it mirrored today, which is uh, hard times make strong men. Strong men make good times. Good times make weak men. Weak men make hard times. Yeah. What was it like right, bu- right before the emergence of Persian yoga and this warrior class in Iran? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think you hit it on the you hit the nail on the head uh, there because you know, again, we have to uh, rely on uh, we have to rely on Greek sources which were not accurate and were very biased, and this is like uh, you know you writing about your enemy kind of thing. But yeah. uh, according which to which is most of uh, most of what's in the history books. Uh, well, uh, most of what's in the Western history books, yes. Uh, yeah, but, yeah. Um, I'm talking about our Rockefeller school system. <laughs> right. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, so uh, they rely heavily on those sources, et cetera, et cetera. But and for better or worse, that's the kind of, uh, you know, information that we have. So uh, extrapolating based on that, uh, we uh, hear that, you know, the first Persian Empire, the Achaemenid Persian Empire. Uh, I mean, Iran to this day is a very wealthy nation. It's always been very wealthy. I mean, it's not governed properly, and that's a com- complete like different uh, topic of story. But the, um, you know, um, based on the natural wealth and resources that is there, it's a very very wealthy country, uh, and we're very wealthy lands. So uh, these. King of kings, the self-styled king of kings. I mean, they live very opulent. I mean, that's why the Greeks and the Macedonians and later the Arabs and later the Turks and later the Mongols and later even the Russians and British and these days also Americans. That's why they want to invade Iran and take over those lands. I mean, it's always been about resources. That's the bottom line. But they were very wealthy. And, you know, the capital of the Persians, I mean, uh, if you read about it, it was certainly a magical place. And uh, they had, as far as we know from Greek sources, you know, they were, um, you know, replaced their uh, combat shoes for silk slippers kind of thing. You know what I mean? And um, the the, the whole like, um, uh, and that's probably a problem with uh, the... um, 
monarchy is that you know you get like a strong king in the beginning but then as the lineage uh, you know time goes on it just becomes weaker and more inbred or whatever so um i guess that's maybe um, part of it and now i'm just extrapolating just on basically on my own opinions and whatnot but yeah, definitely uh, the Persians or uh, Iranian people, uh, there are tribes that have gone through and still to this day, you know, very, very hard people, you know, and then, you know, they, you get these empires and it's very opulent and it's very, very uh, rich, etc. And they get replaced by invaders who want to take over uh, the resources and they do that successfully for a time. But then the Iranians, they kind of like, uh, as I already alluded to, in different waves, they come back and reassert their dominance of their land and take back. So mm -hmm. this touches upon a very, very important uh, spiritual uh, or life philosophy and ideology, which uh, I uh, suspect that you can relate to. And that is the Persian is very, very Iranian. It's very, very Persian mentality is freedom or death. This mm -hmm. is what they believe in. And this mm -hmm. is to this day, we see that in Iran, when there is a totalitarian, dictatorial, tyrannical, uh, religious extremist uh, government that is essentially killing people at today, not in thousand years ago, this is today, but still yeah. people are in the streets protesting, um, you know, being apprehended, they're being executed, tortured, etc., etc. Because this idea of freedom is very, very, and we refer to it as azadegi, azadi. This is freedom uh, or death or martyrdom. And mm -hmm. Iranian people, they've shown that in today. They've shown that during the uh, 80s Iran-Iraq War and all these historical events that I already mentioned, they prefer death to be. To, to to the alternative of not having freedom, yeah, absolutely, or, or at least a a, will, a willingness to fight to the death, because exactly. the alternative the alternative is worse. Slavery is exactly. worse, and, and exactly. I, I think I think every country is seeing that right now in in real time. In in my opinion, it's it's happening in the United States. It's just it's it's shrouded and veiled in medical experiments and different psychological operations that get people to participate in their own enslavement, not even realizing what's happening, but it's going on simultaneously. There's no, there's no country that you could go to. And it, it's even made me look at the, the context of history differently because we're told throughout history that, you know, it, it's always put upon the people of the nation. Oh, the nation got too gluttonous and 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 then there was too much sin and then they were just invaded and taken over. Well, I'm watching the systematic intentional destruction of America by printing trillions of dollars, by opening up our borders, by letting people in. It's not that Americans are intentionally doing it. It's this class of a very small group of people that are pulling strings and blaming Americans. And I know how they're going to try to write the history books. Everybody does. But when you're living through it, you're like, bullshit. I think a lot of this stuff is 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 much bigger and much more orchestrated. And and, and it's fascinating. And, and it actually makes me feel closer to my brothers and sisters around the world because we're all getting fucked with. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I uh, hear what you're saying. And, um, you know, we're kind of like uh, going between 
to different contexts and timelines, which is perfectly fine. And I appreciate and I understand that. I have my own opinions around that, but uh, definitely uh, I, uh, uh, it resonates with me to some extent what you're saying that there is, I think we have been, uh, it's been very foolish and a lot of people are waking up to that, this whole idea of uh, nation states or nationhood, where in fact there is a, a hierarchy that is above that, that is uh, determining, determining the narrative, you know, yeah, that yeah, yeah, everyone sure. else is kind of like following. And uh, they're, they're kind of beyond that, you know, they're referring to it as this deep state or whatever. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, that's all well and true. But just to kind of like uh, loop back to this uh, Pahlavani ideology or this Persian yoga ideology of uh, freedom or death was this is what uh, these knights were, this is their main ethos you know because mm -hmm. um, if I were to compare uh, and contrast what is a Pahlavan I think the closest example to uh, what a Westerner would know would be a samurai you know this mm -hmm. is uh, someone that is like dedicated to his way of life and to, to his martial conditioning uh, but there is a very important uh, difference there uh, a samurai essentially the word itself means to serve and these people like mm -hmm. served a master or lord whereas the Pahlavan didn't have that they didn't serve anyone they serve the land and the people of the land. Uh, so there's a huge differentiator there. But the uh, philosophy and the ethos is uh, that of uh, uh, freedom. And this, this is again, this is a, a very ancient, and this ties into the spiritual, um, I guess, uh, philosophy or the spiritual uh, culture of Palamoni. It is that we believe in freedom of choice, personal responsibility, and individual conscience. These are very important aspects of the sp spiritual or the philosophical way of the Pahlavan. Can you say those three one more time? Personal choice. Uh, freedom of choice. Or freedom of choice. Personal responsibility and individual conscience. This is, uh, in a nutshell, the um, philosophical or the spiritual um, ethos or goal of Pahlavani. To develop an individual who is strong, not just physically, but spiritually, but that can uh, represent these values of freedom, of choice, personal responsibility, and individual conscience. Did, have, you, have you had to do any work around your fear of death? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, I think this is uh, something that um, is a work in progress uh, for me personally. Uh, I think I assume for uh, many of us because, uh, you know, that's the only certainty in life, right? Life means death. So um, it's a portal. Um, one end is life, the other end is uh, death. So we all face that and we all wrestle with it in our own way. And uh, for sure, I have I have worked around that uh, quite a lot. Uh, but uh, I just tell you now, I love life. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's great. It's great. And, and and the trick is, it's also like it's also it also enslaves us if we're too afraid of dying. You know, it it, it can. Well, fear it can enslaves us. That's right. Fear enslaves us. Yeah, fear enslaves us for sure. Um, the. The third part, so I understand freedom of choice. I understand personal responsibility. Can you explain individual conscience? Right, okay. 
So uh, and, and, this- and maybe how that fits into does do the warriors uh, uh, believe in a higher power? Well, yes, 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 for sure. Uh, okay, uh, this I will try my best to answer this. This is a very deep question, and uh, you know there is uh, a lot of context that needs to be uh, provided uh, so that you know it, it, it is correct. So we have to look now at the uh, spiritual tradition, or quote unquote, the religion of uh, these people. Okay, mm-hmm. in fact, the word religion. In Iranian language, in Persian, the ancient word for it is Dayana. Today, we call it Din, which essentially means conscience. Religion to Persians means conscience. Okay. Right? Consciousness. Like, it's, it's, it's consciousness. So, to have a good religion, you know, you have to have a good consciousness, a good conscience. See what I mean? They're connected. Con- they're conscience or consciousness? Well, it's a uh, Persian is very uh, Persian is is very uh, different to English in the sense that English is very specific. So mm-hmm. you, one word means kind of like one thing, you know. Mm-hmm. But Persian is very descriptive. So depending mm-hmm. on the context, the word can mean different things. But okay, consciousness. All right. Okay. Out so of like, which arises the conscience. Okay. Okay. So this uh, individual consciousness, all right, is can be described. Uh, I mean, it is a it is a dichotomy. It's like this is where the uh, Western or um, uh, I use the word Semitic religions differ from this uh, Iranian ideology and thinking which Iranians, they are uh, from a stock of people known as the Indo-Iranians who are also referred to as Aryans, right? So um, this is why I'm using these terms. Uh, it's uh, And the comparing and contrasting, I just got to put this caveat in there. The comparing and contrasting that I'm making is by no means, uh, you know, a judgment that one is better or one is worse. It's just I'm pointing out the contrast and differences, right? Yeah. So... Uh, you know, the, the no, Semitic no one's gonna religion call you racist. being <laughs> no, no, it's, this is not no, this is not race uh, race theory. No, <laughs> but this uh, Semitic uh, religions, being Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, have a very different worldview than the Aryan belief system. And I'm going to highlight the uh, difference here. The Semitic religions are revelatory religions. They have been revealed by a prophet, you know, uh, Moses, Jesus, Muhammad, uh, uh, etc. And they bring the word of God to you as a message and reveal it to you. Do you agree? This yes. is essentially the um, worldview. Yeah, you, have, you, have, you have the religious text and you study that and then you understand that and... Yeah, it's been revealed to you, essentially. Someone brought you the message. That's what the prophet means. It's a messenger, right? Okay. The Aryan ideology and worldview is very different than that. It's not revelatory. It's an evolution. 
Okay, so it is an evolution of your consciousness through work, through effort, through insight, through uh, practice. You are you are yourself climbing this uh, spiritual ladder, if you want to call it that. You know, it's not a ladder. There's no ladder. There's no levels. You know, there's none of that exists. But just to build an analogy and a, and a picture here. You know, no one is revealing this to you. You are discovering this for yourself within yourself. Right. You see what I mean? And this is a very, very important point of difference. Nothing is given. You are claiming it yourself. And this is an evolution of the soul. This is an evolution of the spirit. It's not a revelation that is uh, given to you and you kind of like accept if that makes sense. The modern man is devolving and at a rapid pace. Men today have an average IQ that's eight points lower than they were just 20 years ago. Men today are 50% more likely to be depressed compared to just 20 years ago, are 300% more likely to be obese compared to just 60 years ago, have sperm counts that are 62% lower than they were just 50 years ago, and have testosterone levels that are about 50% lower than they were just 20 years ago. But the reality is that it doesn't have to be this way. Your manhood, your strength, your power, your energy, your focus, all of these things are within your control. And you just need to recognize that all over the world, there are people that are curing cancer. There are people that are overcoming heart disease. Diabetes is a choice if you have the right tools at your disposal. But if you are one of the men that does not want to follow this pattern and you want to take control of this stuff, you want to have control over your body and mind, then I encourage you to go to biohackercoaching.com, fill out the short form, grab a time to talk with myself or someone from our team. Everything that we do is 100% guaranteed. If you're not absolutely thrilled with the results that you get, I don't want your money, I'll give it back. If you don't get a return, meaning if you don't make more money as a result of us working together because of greater energy, greater health, greater greater focus, greater mental clarity, thinking faster, working smarter, getting more done in less time, then I don't want your money. So it's no risk to you. I appreciate you guys so much. Thank you for being a part of the Biohacking Secrets family. Thank you for supporting this podcast. If you want to level up, go to biohackercoaching.com. Thank you. I'm curious because I would imagine that people that are walking that path also want checkpoints. They want to know if they are, if 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 they're on the right path, if the revelations right. or the insights that they are having are ascending or descending them right because we can move both directions where do they get direction completely right and a very good point and question and uh, this is why we have masters and in the persian culture or in the iranian tradition we refer to these master as the peer p-i-r which essentially means the elder right the mm-hmm. ancient the mm-hmm. um, you know the, that's where the uh, where uh, the source of wisdom is they have walked the path before you and they are guiding you in the uh, in the pahlavani tradition or in the persian yoga i just got to give like a little um, background story here today this art is practiced in uh, dome shaped temples they have this dome in them and an octagon at the center which is sunken in the ground it's like a half a meter i guess for you it would be like a uh, 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 uh like three feet or I, so I, I don't know i don't know the imperial system but like uh mm-hmm. half a meter like like two feet something 
you know, mm-hmm. uh, deep down into the uh, uh, in the earth, there's this dome-shaped structure on top, and this place is referred to as the Zurkhane, which means the house of strength, literally, or it's actually a temple, so a temple of strength, uh, where this Pahlavani art or the word art of the warriors is uh, practiced, and in there the ceremonial practice is led by a master which we refer to as the morshed and this morshed or the master is your guide you know he's guiding you through this journey and as you said like he's pointing out the signposts and the potholes the pitfalls where mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. you don't want to go derailed but ultimately it is a personal responsibility it is your freedom of choice to choose that to choose the evolution of your individual consciousness or conscience. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you know, so my, I was baptized Catholic, obviously a tremendous amount of pitfalls in that religion. You know, there's, there's a whole bunch of priests running around touching little boys. It's a mess. How do you qualify someone that's in a position of power and guiding you, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, it is very sad and uh, disgusting. And uh, I have nothing good to say about that whole thing. But yeah, it's, no, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's like, me, you know, it, it pushed, it pushed a lot of people away from a connection with God, because of shitty humans. You know, you have you have bad people that have created a spiritual disconnection. And, yeah, and well, so it makes me wonder, like, we get, we have to have good discernment when we're putting people in a position of power to guide us spiritually. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And uh, I guess uh, it was this uh, Greek uh, historian philosopher, uh, I forget his name properly, Theosis or something, uh, where he says, you know, uh, if you have, I'm paraphrasing, I'm probably butchering the quote, but it's like, uh, if you have your, uh, if you don't train your body and the soul, then you get, you know, your leaders being uh, weak and fearful. And then you have your warriors being stupid. You know, you have to train both at the same time kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You got dudes spending all day at the gym that couldn't, couldn't spot Doesn't a psychological operation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. You see what I mean? So it, it, it is a bit of that. But um, again, like, um, I hope I have answered you and I think I tied it around this, uh, um, you know, freedom, freedom of choice, individual, uh, uh, resp- personal responsibility and individual uh, consciousness. You know, I think I've tied that and I've uh, explained to you how we use these concepts to further develop and evolve the practitioner. So we've covered a lot about the kind of like uh, spiritual uh, aspect. And um, just, you mentioned Catholicism and we talked about religion and this is not kind of like my area of expertise. I like to focus on Pahlavani and Persian yoga, but I just want to say that uh, for those who are interested, that these ideologies, this, I guess, like Indo-Iranian way of thinking or this Aryan way of uh, worldview, um, you know, we don't use terms or isms. This is more of a Western thing. You you know, you have like uh, Hinduism, uh, you know, all these different isms. Uh, We refer to it simply as the good religion, you know. And the good religion has been uh, named in the West as Zoroastrianism. But 
before that, much more older than that, and this is much uh, much more uh, like a, a oral tradition. Uh, these Parthian people or these uh, Pahlavani uh, people, they were primarily known to be following followers of Mithraism. So this is a uh, they are they are like a Mithraic chivalric order of knights that uh, form brotherhoods and kind of like guilds, if you want to uh, compare to like Freemasons of today kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, who um, essentially, uh, you know, evolved and developed uh, this tradition. So it so, comes out of that. It comes out of Mithraism. That's my point. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, I, I think that's something that's that's missing in spades yeah. today. And part of the reason that so many men are depressed and isolated is you know, we're, we're training in isolation. We don't have people that we could talk to where, you know, most, most men, their, their whole day is spent going to work and taking care of their family and putting money on the table. You know what I mean? But it's, it's, there, there, isn't totally that, get it. there isn't that brotherhood. There isn't like, you don't, you don't go train, you don't go wrestle, you don't go fight, you don't go test yourself. You don't have other people that call you out on your bullshit. You know what I mean? It's like, exactly. there, there's this, yeah. this whole aspect of, of masculinity and an iron sharpening iron um, that that isn't there for for the vast majority of men. Um, let, let's kind of fast. With you. Yeah, I agree with you. I just want to say something on that note, you know. Yeah. And uh, uh, again, I'm, I'm comparing and contrasting. It's not a judgment value. You make up your own mind. But uh, this is the Western way: individualism, capitalism. You know, mm-hmm. it's the Western way, and it, it's gone too far. Like where we are losing that connection of uh, simply put brotherhood. You know, yeah. uh, of uh, men just being men. And doing men things, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's uh, it's it's very much lacking uh, in the in the Western context. And that's why I find a Persian yoga or Pahlavani tra- uh, practice in this traditional uh, environment so very beautiful and empowering. You know, you have these temples. Um, you know, it's only for men. I mean, that's got another problem with it. I do believe that uh, it should be equal for men and women. But today and, and traditionally, it's been that it's only for men. And only men can enter these temples, and mm-hmm. uh, it, it's it's very beautifully set up because you have the bazaar in the Iran, like uh, you have the kind of like market or the shops, the bazaar, mm-hmm. and then you have the, uh, t- uh, the, the their temple can be a mosque, can be a church. There are Christians in Iran, there's Jews in Iran, so it can be a synagogue. So whatever uh, that uh, temple is of worship. And then in the middle, you have the Zurkhane or this temple of strength. So the men will go to the bazaar, go to work, go to the Zurkhane, do the workout, go to the temple, do their prayers, and then they go home. You see what I mean? It builds a community. And mm-hmm. uh, that aspect of community is quite beautiful. I just got to uh, tell you a little anecdote there about it, that until the 1920s, uh, there was no law enforcement in Iran. So there was no police uh, force, uh, so to speak. Mm. The uh, kind of like protection and order of the community was left to these strong men of the Zurkhane, of these temples. You know, uh, you had like That's a beef dope. with someone, you would go to the master of the temple there uh, or speak to the highest ranking Pahlavan the night and he would, they would settle the score. They will keep calm in the community and each kind of like neighborhood and community has one of these Zurkhane temples 
you know, it still uh, to some extent operates like that. But obviously, there's law enforcement and police and, um, you know, a whole bunch of different things today. So that has become kind of like an outdated model. But the vibe is still there. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I, I love that, especially my, my brother was telling me the other day, and, and I have not fact checked this, so don't don't call me out on this, guys. But my brother told me the other day that the the police force originated in the United States to round up runaway slaves, and I was like, Yeah, what? yeah, yeah, I've heard that too. And I'm like, if that's true, you know, it, it would, it's basically a gangster system, <laughs> you know, like that's not that that that's not an equality system. Much much more of an equality system is what you just mentioned. You know, like yeah, the community yeah. and the tribe maintains harmony within the tribe, not some outsourced force that could easily right. be purchased. Anyway, it's a very good observation, and a very I like to sprinkle point. in plenty of of potential conspiracy theories in, in in the podcast just to send our listeners down rabbit holes and and and, and entertain them. Um, no, okay, I, so. I understand, and unfortunately, we do see the consequences of that in the your. Um, uh, in your community and in your country today. I mean, it's uh, very sad and very, very unfortunate. It's a bit of a mess, bit of a mess at the moment. Okay, so let's fast forward to today. The um, the, the application of Persian yoga today and and, and the purpose in, in this modern world, you know, how do you use it? How do you see other men using it in, in your community? Um, tell us sure, a little bit sure. about like the, you know, the, the, the conditioning and the physical training and the spiritual training part of it. Cool. Yeah, I definitely will do that. So um, I, I think I've uh, laid the context of where this art comes from historically, you know, and uh, what it was used for to develop these knights. And I've all, all, all already also touched on the little bit of their worldview and spiritual kind of like guiding principles. Uh, but like, um, and this has been around, as I mentioned, since that time, 250 BC, and we fast forwarded through time very quickly. And I said there was the Greek Macedonian invasions, the Iranians kicked them out, the Pahlavans, they're the ones that kicked them out. Then uh, we got invaded by the Muslim Arabs. Uh, and uh, again, these uh, Pahlavans or these Parthian people, these Saka Parthians and these different tribes that uh, these different Iranian tribes united and again kicked out the Muslim Arabs and they reasserted Persian dominance or Iranian dominance of the land. Then it was the next wave of invasion came from the Turks and uh, shortly thereafter it was the Mongols. All right. So mm -hmm. At the time of the Mongol invasion, it was a very brutal invasion. Uh, by all accounts, they um, uh, it was well, they, a huge. They, they fought a similar uh, horseback style. Well, yeah. Well, they came about a thousand years later, but obviously they were very, very successful and very, very ruthless. And, uh, uh, you know, by some accounts, there was a huge genocide of Iranians. Half of the population was slaughtered. I mean, these people would come and like slaughter and not leave a living thing, like including domestic animals. Like everything was would this be, Genghis uh, Khan reign. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like uh, and uh, and and his descendants, right? Um, uh, anyway. So what happened is that, um, you know, Iranian men were banned from carrying uh, weapons, of course, and they were banned from um, gathering in groups. Uh, but, you know, the martial way survived. That's never good. And what, never good. 
No, that's no. never good for uh, freedom. <laughs> no, well, uh, the, the, uh, but it's it's actually a success story because what happened is that uh, these pahlavans or these warriors, what they did is they took their training. This training used to uh, uh, happen in the open, where you know the warriors or where the army had their camps or whatever. But so they had to obviously do it in a clandestine or secret way. So they moved the training inside caves or inside homes in the basements mm. and so on. And mm. that kind of became the template for the Zurkhane that I refer to. This dome-shaped underground has a, a very low door that you have to bow to get inside. And it's going usually in the underground and training in a place that has no windows. And uh, They probably had to lower the floor so that they didn't hit the ceiling of the first floor if they were doing it down in the basement. Maybe they, yeah, that's why I said like, uh, <laughs> the, the training. Yeah. The training happens in a pit, in an octagon yeah. pit that is sunken in the ground. Yeah, literally. like half a meter down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the wife's like, fine. Uh, it, you it, guys it, go down there and train. Just don't bust the ceiling up. <laughs> yeah, so it's because you're swinging these big clubs, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> But but, uh, but but joke society has got a very important spiritual um, um, uh, meaning to train in this um, sunken pit, and uh, this comes from uh, the time when you know, as it happens, Iranians would have infighting. You know, they would fight themselves, um, so uh, to save the death of many uh, of their like fellow countrymen or whatever when they, when they were fighting. You know, they let the battle be decided by uh, two select warriors. You know, they would select mm. the best one from this side. They would select the best one from that side, and they would the two of them would meet in this no man's land between the two uh, uh, mm. armies or warring fractions. And what they would do, they would dig a hole, two men would enter and only one would come out and that place would become the grave or the resting place for the fallen warrior. So mm, based on that, <laughs> we train in this sunken floor pit that you are essentially training for your death. You're training for that moment. And mm. this has like this spiritual implication as we are uh, uh, as we are conducting the physical practice, you know, uh, and yeah, and the physical practice is done to a live drum beat. It's a big war drum that the master beats, the, the morshed or the guide, you know. He beats this war, big war drum. And so you are practicing to the beat of a music, to the beat of a drum, and he's reciting these spiritual, sometimes religious incantations and poetry to instill spiritual energy in your train, in your physical practice, as you're doing it, preparing for death. Talk Whoa. about that. I like that a lot. I like all aspects. It's of next that. level, man. Like, yeah. I mean, I mean, you can only. It's a lot better than listening to Metallica. Want. Well, you, well, Look, it's next level. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I mean, this is fascinating. Is this is this something? So you're stepping into this pit, representing right. every, every time you step in, even when you're training, you're realizing in that moment that if you don't train properly, if you're not focused, when, when a, a moment of confrontation comes, you may not be coming out alive, right? So you're going to train differently. You're going to realize Freedom there are steps. Yeah, yeah, freedom or death. And then you're also you're you're training to you're having your your spirit and the water within your body and your your entire being um you're taking all this in 
even while you're, you know, while, while you're going through these, these, these motions and training and fighting, being charged up by the music. Yeah. yeah. Is this, so do you, is this something like, let's say I wanted to, to, to train Persian yoga, which I do. That's why we're talking. And, 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 and hopefully our, you guys that are listening are enjoying this as well. Is, are there, are there soundtracks? Are there playlists? Like if I'm training Persian yoga here, could I put on a Spotify playlist and blast it, you know, while I'm swinging the clubs and, and the shields yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. we're going to, we're going to get yeah, to the yeah. implements here too. But like, yeah. I mean, that's badass. I would love to do that. Yeah, 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 definitely there is. Um, uh, just got to give a little bit of background about myself. So I started this, this journey in 2007. Uh, obviously, like I uh, was born in Iran, migrated to Sweden at a very young age, eight. Uh, there was the, because of the Iran-Iraq war at the time, uh, my family migrated to Sweden and that's where I grew up. I have been very far removed from this culture and scene until like I moved to Australia and um, I'm living here now for the last 20 years. Uh, but it's here where I saw this in a documentary film, right? I saw this uh, milieu and this like art. There was like a little uh, snapshot of this travel documentary. You know how it is. These Westerners go there and they, they just shot, shoot some and make a travel documentary about it. Mm -hmm. But anyway, this sparked my interest and I went back to Iran. I undergone the training. I was trained at the Iranian National Olympic Academy. And then I took it upon myself to uh, travel the country and visit these temples and learn from the masters of these temples and the Pahlavans, the champions. Uh, and um, I, I have been training at Iran's oldest uh, Zurkhane or oldest temple. It's 500 years. Like you can imagine 500 years of daily practice. Warriors, they have like, uh, the walls are decked with uh, photos of these old champions. Like some of the photos are 100 and 150 years old or whatnot, you know, at the time of photography was invented and brought to Iran. And, you know, you see these grandmasters, these like wrestling champions and uh, wrestling is a big part of it. And that's, uh, you know, I, uh, I'm going, uh, going to give you a good breakdown. But essentially, the physical arts and the spiritual arts, they, number, they uh, center around the number seven, which is a magical number and it's an important number in our tradition. But there are seven physical practices and there are seven spiritual practices. But one of these seven uh, uh, physical practices, the sixth one, in fact, is wrestling. So uh, these implements that you have seen, the clubs, the shields and the bow and the etc., you know, all these are arts uh, that uh, we do ceremonially and systematically as preparation for the wrestling. So the wrestling is super important. Right. And um, that's the combative that's the combative aspect uh, of the art that's the real martial art of it the physical martial art, combat martial art anyway is this sim is this so, similar to like greco-roman wrestling okay good question i'm going to jump to this one because uh, it's a very important uh, differentiation and uh, difference there greco-roman wrestling i mean you hear from the name where it comes from essentially is upper body only mm. okay it's the olympic style of wrestling the second Olympic style of wrestling is freestyle wrestling. And mm -hmm. freestyle wrestling has its origin and roots in Pahlavani wrestling that I'm talking about. Mm. Pahlavani wrestling or combat wrestling or that these warriors used, it was kind of like a belt wrestling from a horseback. You're going to throw this guy off the horse or like on one-on-one, -on -one, you're going to wrestle your opponent down to stab him. You know, that's essentially uh, where it came from. Mm. That evolved into catch wrestling, 
and catch wrestling was systematized in freestyle wrestling, which is you can grab the legs. Greco-Roman mm-hmm. upper body only, freestyle wrestling, total body, grab the legs. The roots and origin of it is from Pahlavani wrestling. So you have one wrestling coming from the Greco-Roman world and you have a one wrestling style. There's many different wrestling styles, but the two Olympic ones, the freestyle mm-hmm. wrestling comes from an Iranian context. Very cool. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah. So, um, and I, I think I've, uh, in a roundabout way, started to touch upon uh, the physical arts and um, the, the, the seven I physical and the seven spiritual. Yeah, right. And uh, um, uh, I, I just want to like uh, loop back to that. So your question was uh, the music, you know, if there is and if you can practice this. So what I was giving you some background into is that I, I trained with this uh, master who owns the and all these are private, right? The Zurkhane is the oldest privatized gym that has ever existed. You know, mm-hmm. uh, this is, um, um, you know, uh, this gentleman. Morshed Ali Reza Hojati, he's the most esteemed master of this art and guide in Iran. He owns the world's oldest Zurkhane, 500 years of practice in that place. And I have recorded him and you can get his uh, recitations and the drum beat and the music that is systematically uh, used with the practice from my website, persianyoga.com and all the proceeds will go to him directly. So not to Spotify or uh, YouTube or anything else. Right. That's great. Um, Yeah. And uh, I want to give you now, because now you understand that you can practice that with the um, music and the drum beat. I just want to give you a little bit of insight into the training system itself. So, Mm -hmm. uh, but before I do that, I just want to mention one thing is that in the Zurkhane, in this temple where you mentioned like the um, the water in the body, you know, being stimulated by the sound, etc. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a very important aspect. I just want to touch on that. So you get, I mean, I have experienced this and it's profoundly powerful and empowering. Like I hope and wish that um, a lot more people can experience this. And this is an experience you can only have in the Zurkhane in Iran because once removed from that environment, it's beautiful. It's great. I do it on almost on a daily basis, you know, but it's not the same thing because yeah. in the Zurkhane, in the goat or the sacred pit, the octagon, you get the men entering in there and they're standing around in a circle. So, and they're all connected and they're all moving together. They're all sweating together. They're all chanting together. And there is a moment I've experienced this. There's a moment when your movement, your breath, your heartbeat, everything is synced with the drum beats and everything is synced with everyone around you. I mean, I'm talking about a spiritual worship of strength, mm-hmm. a communal worship of strength, an experience of, uh, that you're experiencing not just in yourself, but you're experiencing it in the person standing next to you next to next to you and you having this shared experience at the same moment this is the, i think the closest uh, example i can come to is like these uh, uh these churches where they sing and i forget mm-hmm. what the, what it's called you know but mm-hmm. it's very popular where they this hill song like you know where this you go to this church and everyone's like uh, uh you know singing loudly and so on uh, so they're having a shared experience but imagine you're doing that while you're doing a physical exercise it's it's all over nature 
And we've somehow separated ourselves from it by allowing ourselves to be isolated or by isolating ourselves, you know, but we see that, that we are like humans are a tribal species and, and just, just like other animals. And when, when you watch a flock of birds change direction together in perfect, in perfect harmony, when you see that, you know, groups of women that live together for long periods of time, start menstruating and have their cycles together. It's like, that's a part of life. And these breakthroughs and realizations and epiphanies do not occur. If, if, if we are living in our own silos in our own little concrete block in, in, in a tower, you know what I mean? Away from right. our brothers and sisters. And it's especially important when you can, <clears throat> you know, like there's, there's a total difference if you're around a whole bunch of other men and you have the energetic fields coming from the heart and to a lesser degree, the mind, and then they're moving together and then there's music and, and all of those things. That's totally different than me doing this, playing, you know, the audio through a speaker by myself. Totally, totally. I mean, I appreciate what you said. Thank you for uh, that example as well. It's 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 very, very, very correct. And uh, so, um, if I may, just um, tie back to the seven physical practices. All right, mm -hmm. this is it's a ceremonial reenactment of a battle. Like this is the closest you can get to an ancient style battle without it being full contact. Right. This mm -hmm. is the closest you can come to it. And it's a systematic process and it's a reenactment. It's a ceremonial reenactment. So every time you're entering the Zurkhana and you're practicing, you are reenacting an ancient battle. That's the kind of uh, uh, process, okay? And it's mm -hmm. systematic. So it's always in the same sequence. Uh, it's a system. Like, and that's, it's, it's very important to uh, make this um, differentiation. A system is... You get an input, but you, you got to get consistently the same output. That's what a system does. And this is a system for developing, um, uh, you know, superhuman strength and very, very, uh, you know, uh, strong warriors. So the first uh, art is the art of the shield, or we refer to them as sang. You may have seen that and you guys can see that on my Insta at Persian Yoga or Facebook or whatever. Uh, but there are these big shields that we press. I mean, uh, for someone who hasn't seen that, I guess it would be to say like you're doing a dumbbell press, except your dumbbells are massive, huge door. Like half, like half a door. <laughs> kind of, right. Yeah. And they're huge. I want to share real quickly the three main reasons that so many people have horrible digestion and the subsequent downstream health consequences of a dysregulated digestive system. First, all of us have been drinking and showering in water that's loaded with chlorine and fluoride and bromide and a whole bunch of other chemicals that kill the healthy bacteria and other microorganisms in our gut. Number two, imagine you had to drink a cup of pesticide and herbicide, you know, glyphosate. It's now in everything and it's been in everything since the 1990s, but it goes one step further. Now you look at all of the technology that we have integrated into our lives. Now let's go back in time and imagine you're on the African savanna. And all of a sudden, a lion comes out of the brush. What's your body going to do? It's going to spike the stress hormone cortisol. Your adrenals in communication with your brain are going to see this lion. They're going to recognize that you are now in danger. Now, the problem is 
we're not on the African savanna and a lion didn't just come out of the brush, but we're doing that same thing to ourselves all the time. And it's part of the reason that so many guys can only eat one meal a day and they're having, you know, they're switching to carnivore. And if they have any carbs, their 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 digestion and their health is, is a wreck and their whole body gets inflamed. I can tell you also from experience that that doesn't go to a good place. And until we even have an idea of what is contributing to this situation, we can't fix it. And if you want help, that's what I do. I help people fix their gut and then get their body back functioning optimally. So if you want help with this stuff, you can go to biohackercoaching.com, fill out the short form, grab a time to talk with myself or someone from our team. That's biohackercoaching.com. Appreciate you guys. If you found this helpful or you know someone who's been struggling with digestive issues, please send it to them. And now back to the show. So you were, you were talking about the, the shields, which I've seen that are you know, yeah, they're, they're sort of like if you imagine taking a dumbbell and then turning it into a big rectangle. Kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're very heavy. And uh, I'll speak a little bit about the function and the purpose as well. This is the first art, okay? The first art is the art of the shield. Obviously, mm. it represents the first stage of battle, which is shield formation. This is uh, common, like you stay, take shield formation before the clash of the arms. Mm -hmm. The function of the sang, this is a warm-up, okay? We don't do warm-up. We go straight to the sang and we do the shield first. And my master told me is that life doesn't give you a chance to warm up. You just got to be prepared mm -hmm. to exert power right there, okay? Mm -hmm. And uh, it's actually a really good warm-up. Because of the size, you know, you have to really focus and stabilize the movement. It builds mm -hmm. tremendous core and grip strength. It actually integrates the core with the grip so that you can, co in a coordinated way, push from the core and you know push the shield up because of its size, it will wobble and shake a lot if you don't stabilize it. So you are using all the muscles, all the muscles stabilize, to stabilize the movement as you are uh, uh, pressing the shield and rolling with it. We also roll with it, you know? So, so uh, can you explain, are you laying down on the ground? On the back. You're laying down on your back and you're okay. pressing the shield. I mean, there's different uh, exercises, uh, but um, it, it, there's double hand presses and there's single hand rolling presses as you roll on your back from side to side. Imagine, imagine a boxer doing punches. Mm. But you're doing okay. that lying on your back with two huge doors, as you call them, uh, in your hands. Sort of like the first, have you ever seen a, a Turkish getup? Uh, yes, yes. And in fact, uh, I, I would like to introduce you to the Persian getup at some stage. Yeah, right. Persian getup. Yeah. <laughs> this is a Persian getup. All right, perfect. Okay, I understand. Yeah, so uh, um, uh, that's the first art, okay? As I mentioned, um, core and grip coordination, uh, core stability, core uh, activation. And this is a warm up. You press the shield. And then we move to the second art, which is the art of the shena or uh, push-ups. Shena in Persian means swimming. So I want you to have this fluid wave-like motions in mind. It's very dynamic. This is where we do um, uh, most of our stretching. You know, it's dynamic stretching. It's not static stretching. Um, it, so the concept is that you have to be flexible and mobile in the movement, not holding a stretch like they do in certain um, you know, yoga methods that they will hold the stretch for like 60 seconds, 90 seconds 
seconds or more. You know, it's not like that. It's very dynamic. It's martial arts. So you got to be able to move and produce movement in a flexible, fluid, wave-like manner as you're doing push-ups. Okay. And okay. Um, this uh, represents the stage of the battle when the armies clash and they are pushing. You've been pushed down. You got to get up and you got to move around very fast in a 360 degree configuration. So think spherical circular movements. Okay. Mm-hmm. Fluid, wave like, um, um, you know, uh, and a lot of repetitions. Like, you know, um, a, 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 a average, I guess, medium kind of uh, training session would consist of at least 150 cons- uh, straight push ups. Okay. In different variations. 150? Um, at least, at least 100. At least 100. I've been to practices where they do over 200 uh, push ups straight, you know. And uh, again, this is not just doing one, uh, the Western push up. Um, the Persian push-ups are very different. We use this board and uh, there's a lot more variation. And as I said to you, it allows you to do stretching at the same time. So now the board is on the ground and yes. you're on top of it and you're doing different waves. Like, like, are you keeping your body in the, the, the same line of a push-up or are your hips also moving width-wise? Because you'd mentioned like moving, moving. all yeah, over the yeah, place. Moving. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As I said, like think 360 degree configuration. Like you okay. got to be able to produce movement in any direction. Okay, okay. That makes that's sense. martial arts. Like that's it can come from any direction, and you got to be able to produce strength and flexibility and movement in any uh, angle of attack, right? Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the second art. And uh, again, I already touched on coordination, obviously core strength, uh, and muscular endurance, cardiovascular endurance, mobility, uh, uh, flexibility, uh, explosiveness, all of agility, all of this is integrated. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. a, a very important um, uh, differentiator, again, that I got to mention is that, again, like things are changing and it's changing for the better in terms of like physical uh, training and conditioning uh, globally. Uh, you know, more people are using these quote-unquote unconventional methods, which is a little bit more integrated. But this is the point I want to make. Pahlavani or Persian yoga is integrated circular training. It's not like serial training. Like you go to the gym and first you do a warm-up. Then you do mm-hmm. uh, maybe chest and biceps or triceps or whatever. And then you do cardio and then you do uh, stretching. It's not like that. It's whatever you do. Has mul- is there's multiple things happening at the same time. That's why it's integrated, you know? So it's integrated cardio with mobility, with agility, with balance and uh, stability. So there's a lot happening. You And I say this a lot to uh, the people uh, that I'm trying to introduce this to. I can talk about this forever and you still won't get it until you experience it. You totally, know? totally. I'm, it's, it's, it's in I'm, the experience. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's amazing. I'm looking at some of the videos now of I just on YouTube searched Persian yoga push ups and I'm seeing things that are like there's similarities to parts of yoga, maybe like going into, you know, if you're in like downward dog and then you go into scorpion and open up your hip. But then it's like in that position as you're rotating, you're also doing a push up and it's like it's very dynamic and, and you don't hold these positions you continue moving and you stay fluid and and kind of go into the next part of the flow which is which is very cool um correct correct 
This yeah. is a very good observation and uh, uh, you know explanation that you give. So uh, that's the art of the Shena. So now we progress the battle from you know the lineup to the skirmish, and now this is the main battle components we're using weapons. And uh, mm -hmm. for that we use the clubs. As you can see, I have one next to me there. Uh, yeah. We use the clubs, and the clubs or the meal, as we refer to it, too, uh, is the weapon replacement tool that we use so we're, you're, we're conditioning the shoulders okay we're conditioning the grip we're conditioning the coordination endurance all right mm -hmm. um uh, and um explosivity but um, most of all it is this endurance aspect because i have read that in the ancient battle they would swing their arms three to four thousand times in a single battle you know and mm. um, uh, you need to have tremendous rotator cuff stability and uh, connective tissue tensile strength so you don't dislocate or tear uh, tendons or connective tissue as yeah. you swing this weapon that basically is going to determine life and death for you you know mm -hmm. so it's in the repetition and just as a, a interesting perhaps note for yourself and uh, other listeners is in this our system of training we don't do sets and reps it's time-based Okay, mm. so uh, you would swing for a minimum of five minutes up to 10. Mm. And again, uh, this is uh, usually like how long combat lasts, you know, mm. around about so much, you know. And uh, you asked in the earlier uh, a question about like what weights uh, would we start on? Okay, yeah. especially with the clubs, you know, especially with the clubs. So a, a handheld weapon like a Iranian short sword or an axe or a mace would weigh around about a kilo to two kilos. I don't know the imperial system. Uh, maybe it's you like can a, do a conversion a, there. Two, two, a kilo to is, is like 2.2 .2 pounds. Yeah, right. Okay. So uh, one, uh, so 2.22, maybe four pounds or something, five pounds or something. That's how much like a uh, normal, you know, uh, average uh, handheld weapon would weigh. So mm -hmm. uh, we are now, uh, in, in our tradition, a healthy adult male will start on a six kilo pair. That's three kilos each. So what is that? Like six pounds each. Mm -hmm. right roughly six mm -hmm. seven pounds each club right they will start on that usually you get some people that start lower you get some people that start higher but that's like the as a rule of thumb you want to start at the um, uh, six kilo pair because it's a kilo heavier or like almost double the weight of a normal weapon and then you're conditioning yourself with that over time and um I just gotta mention this that it sounds very little for someone that coming from a, a linear strength training, bodybuilding uh, or uh, strength, uh, what's it called, like powerlifting background. And they think like seven pounds is nothing, but it's very, very different uh, physical uh, phenomena uh, that's happening here because we are doing circular training. In bodybuilding and powerlifting, it's more linear where you're yeah. pushing away in a straight line and mm -hmm. just touching very briefly on the physics of that is you're exerting force. The force is mass times the acceleration that you're producing, right? Mm -hmm. It's a linear equation, very simple. In circular training, 
we are using this tool here that you can see, you know, the handle and you're holding this upright, obviously. So you're holding it the other way around and you can see the heaviest part of the club is in the, at the top. And it's like, it's, it, there's a moment arm. So it's like away from your hand. You're not holding the weight in your hands like you would do with a dumbbell. So now you have to be a incredible for arm. grip strength. Uh, it's amazing. That's what I'm saying. This look. I, I, I just gotta uh, say this. In bodybuilding, it's about chest, back, traps, um, uh, triceps, or whatever. In our system, it's grip strength, core strength, leg strength. That's it. The ability to push, the ability to pull, the ability to get up. This is it. Like we we're basing the whole pr uh, principles around that. And again, Western training is outside in. You train the limbs. You go there first, you do arms and then whatever you do, chest or legs or whatever. And then at the end of your training, maybe you do some abs. But we don't do that. It's all core from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then the limbs or the extremities will take care of themselves because you're focusing on building a very strong foundation. Anyway, so going back to the uh, meal and the club. So you got now the weight on a moment arm that you are moving in circles so you have a moment arm and an angle right mm -hmm. so the equation for that is very different it's not force equals mass times acceleration it is torque torque equal the angle or the uh, the angle of a circle which is pi times the mass times the acceleration you see what i mean so mm -hmm. Basically, the torque is um, uh, basically is circular force. The force that or the power output that you're producing is much greater than you would in a linear way by the factor of pi, which is 3.14. So, um, um, sorry about the math, but essentially you are using three times as at least three times um, uh, more uh, strength to produce the same output of the same mass in a circular way. So essentially you're using three times more effort to uh, swing the meal. That's why a seven pound club will feel like so heavy. You know, it feels so much heavier than you would push the same weight in a straight line. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, it makes, it makes complete sense. So like, now, I mean, I'm sure we have we have men and women listening, but probably men are a little bit more uh, excited about the idea of swinging clubs. Um, and they're trying to size themselves up like, you know, a, a lot of these guys maybe have been training or doing some sort of strength and push ups. How do you size someone up and say, hey, you should get the the six kilogram meals, you know, which is basically 13 pounds, you know, they're, they're six and a half pounds each versus, oh, no, you should probably get the, the, the 10 kilogram meals, which are, you know, 22 pounds or 11 pounds each like. Right. I get it. I you get know, it. like I, I'm um, looking at, let's say for me, let's just take me for example. Right. And uh -huh. like um, I, that way I could answer questions because I want to get some of these clubs and uh, I want to get the push up board and the and, and, and the shields as well and everything. So, like, how, how do you how do you size me up and figure? Because like me doing anything for 10 minutes would probably be hard. If, if I do yeah, yeah, body look, weight exercises is, is. for 10 minutes, it's going to get tough, you know, depending on the exercise. Look, I tell you this, I've trained uh, and practiced with, uh, you know, wrestling champions, bodybuilding, powerlifters, crossfitters, like elite athletes, right? 
Mm-hmm. Everyone gets challenged by Pahlavani. Every single one. Every person mm-hmm. I've trained with have been extremely challenged because it's not just about a strength output. There's mm-hmm. also a huge element of skill. And this is mm-hmm. what differentiates us from the beast. Man has skill. We can develop skill, you know, mm-hmm. and we can um, fine tune it. So uh, to answer your question, I would advise people who do not have experience with circular training or clubs at all, to start at level one. And that's, we start at the basics. Some people have to even uh, regress and start like uh, at a lower weight, but that doesn't matter. What matters is the development of skill and strength, which takes time because this is not just a muscular conditioning. This is a neuromuscular conditioning. You are developing your um, uh, neuron connections from your brain to your muscles and developing your skill as you do this. So if you don't have the skill, you're not going to be able to lift uh, or swing the uh, heavier clubs. doesn't matter what you do. I swear to God, I've trained with so many people and a lot of uh, these guys and again they come from the powerlifting um, paradigm or bodybuilding paradigm and they go i can bench like uh i don't know uh, 100 kilos 200 kilos or whatever you know mm-hmm. doesn't matter you gotta stop uh, you gotta start at step one and so you still you is, still have them get if they could bench 200 kilos you still have them get the six kilogram 13 pound uh, uh, uh meals depending on the individual depending on the individual i mean there is a little bit of a uh, give and take. I mean, some people are definitely stronger, so I would put them maybe, uh, you know, one or two kilos higher from six, maybe to eight. Okay. Okay. But it's not, and it's not, there's not a big jump. No, 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 no. I mean, okay. uh, look, we say this in our art, we say every kilo on the club is like 20 kilo on the bar. Okay. You know, so just just you think, just okay, the club is just one kilo heavier, but once when you hold it upright and you're trying to balance it and swing it, it feels like a tremendous lot more. And I explained the physics behind it just a moment ago. So definitely, my advice would be start low because I've had guys that come from this mindset. They come, okay, I, they get the heavier heavier clubs straight away, but then within a week or two, they come back and they get the lighter ones because they couldn't swing <laughs> them. You know. Yeah, I've done that. I, I've I've done that with like the steel mace before. Um, one of the guys that we had come to one of our events is he do, he does a lot of really really cool stuff with with the steel mace. And um, yeah, it's it's deceptively heavy. You can pick up a heavier one, and then you're good for a minute or two, and then all of a sudden you're smoked, and you're like, yeah, you're right. I gotta <laughs> I gotta go. I gotta yeah, walk exactly. Run. This is circular strength training, right? I mean, uh, that steel club is it's. The, the Persian meal uh, is the grandfather of all the clubs, you know, uh, the mm-hmm. Indian club, the steel mace, um, uh, all these other uh, replica copies that have been uh, produced these days. Uh, they're all fashioned after this bad boy right here. And, um, uh, you know, I also uh, got to add that, you know, these are handmade. It is one piece of uh, timber. It's not laminated. It's not glued. This is a traditional art. And these are traditional artisans that produce this in the environment, in the original environment and context. So I'm mm-hmm. about sharing something authentic. This is not made in China or it's not being copied. It's from mm-hmm. people who practice the art. This my artisans, they're fourth generations. They're producing this. They pray. This is their livelihood and this is their way of life. I mean, it's 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 very organic and holistic. This is not someone jumping on a bandwagon trying to uh, copy this in some other place and uh, kind of like just selling it as a fat thing. This is yeah. from the authentic original culture. 
you know, and I'm about supporting them because they deserve recognition and they deserve to uh, flourish when the art is flourishing, uh, despite sanctions, despite economic hardship, despite uh, mm -hmm. isolation and, uh, you know, basically also mismanagement from a government level. So yeah. I'm about giving back to the original uh, community and culture. And that's why I promote it as authentically um, as I have been taught and it's been passed on to me. So Absolutely. I, I appreciate that too. And I think that it, it, it's up to us where like, if, if we don't want to become a culture that buys everything on Amazon and then quickly has prices all dictated to us, we have to support culture. We have to support the people that created these arts and the implements that are associated with those arts. And if that costs a little bit more in the short term, but you're getting something legit that, like you said, wasn't made in China in a factory, you know, like that's, we decide what type of world we live in. Correct. And you vote with your dollar, you know, yeah. um, and, and this is like for us, like in our tradition, we say you buy meal once. It is mm -hmm. a family heirloom that you pass on to the next generation and they last mm. for generations. I mean, I have meal in my uh, collection that my grandfather used, you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. uh, it's not, uh, um, uh, you know, it's an authentic living tradition. So uh, I think we spoke a lot about uh, the meal and it's a very fascinating subject. And uh, as I mentioned to you, you everyone needs to start at the at step one and learn the skill and develop their strength um, step by step, you know. And um, that would be my advice, like um, in, the, in the words of the uh, God rest his soul, may he rest in peace, the great uh, Pahlavan Khosrow Vaziri, also known as the Iron Sheikh, it makes you humble, <laughs> Baba. It makes you humble. So you got to be humble. You start at the low step, first step, and you work your way up, you know? I didn't see that coming. I did not see that coming. I love that you just quoted the Iron Sheik. Um, yeah, so this, I mean, is, this yeah. has been... This has been fantastic, yeah. and uh, I, I didn't I didn't know you were a w, WWE fan. Um, I'm so, an Iron Shake fan, like God rest his soul. But yeah, definitely been a, a big fan, you know. And yeah. I mean, uh, if you know about the Iron Shake, you know about the Persian meal. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, this is this, is, this and, has been fantastic. I really enjoyed it. So in 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 my shopping cart right now, I've got the um, I've got the music. And, and I don't want to butcher his name, uh, Ferdowski's Shanamay. Uh, Ferdowski, yes, Ferdowski. He's uh, Ferdowski is uh, very, very important. He's an ancient Iranian poet. He lived about a thousand and two hundred years ago, and um, you know he collated and collected and uh, wrote down these epic um, battles and adventures of these Pahlavans. So uh, the poetry that is recited is basically recounting the heroic deeds and, uh, you know, the achievements of these ancient glorious battles and uh, champion knights. So that's what you're listening to. It's not uh, religious in any way. Uh, it's very spiritual, but it is not belonging to any particular uh, religious uh, discipline or uh, practice. And basically it's just poetry. Uh, and is so, that is that uh, like a, a a CD or a? Uh, it's the MP3. Like it's just digital. MP3. Okay, awesome yeah, digital. Yeah. That that makes sense. Um, and then I've got I got the six kilogram meals. After that makes the most sense. I figured ten minutes I'll be smoked. I got the uh, the 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 Shamshiri push up board. 
Large Perfect. is large the right yep. size for a guy that's yeah, like I six think two. That would be the large size for you. The small one is better suited for boys and girls. Okay, all right, and then I got the the oh, Persian Yoga Fundamentals Manual. Yeah, well, in that I outline um, the fu- fundamentals or the basis of the practice, the systematic approach. Um, uh, you know, because uh, let me say, it, let me let me give you an insight here. So you're starting this practice. It's mm-hmm. like learning a dance. You're learning the dance of strength. First, you have to learn the basic pattern and moves to learn the basic choreography. And then on top of the fundamentals, we have variations. So variations Mm -hmm. of those fundamental moves that you do and perform in different ways to uh, Mm -hmm. engage the body differently and produce more challenge, a core coordination challenge, stamina challenge, agility challenge, and so on. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, and then. And the third layer on top of that is when you start creating combinations. Okay, so you have the fundamentals, you add variations on top of that, and then with these variations, you can produce different combos. Okay, it's very mm-hmm. much like boxing or martial arts, right? So mm-hmm. uh, it, it's, it's in that sequence that I've laid it out. So you get the fundamentals, you will get familiar with the um, um, you know basis of the practice. And then also it includes a routine and a program uh, that that will take you from beginner to intermediate level, ready to go on the next step, which would be uh, learning more variations to incorporate and, uh, you know, mix up your training. So is that, are you saying it's, it's, does it make the most sense to get the Persian yoga fundamentals manual and then the Persian yoga variations manual, or should you get the course and have the course take you through it? All right. Uh, I think that's what I was trying to say is that uh, uh, short answer, go with the fundamentals because that's what you need first. And then once you learn that and want to go beyond and learn new things, that's when you go and jump to the uh, uh, variations course. So I just want to also differentiate that. Obviously, I have them in printed manual and also videos uh, that you can um, watch, but they're online course is both of them in one place and is accessible online. So it's the mm. same content. It's just a different uh, format. And you could watch it on your phone, for example, like right. just bring your phone outside with you, watch it on your phone. That's and right. yeah. Do your thing. Awesome. That's Fantastic. right. Because, well, uh, because like, you know, my objective with this was to make this accessible for people do, that do not have access to the Zurkhane. Those people in Iran, they go to the Zurkhane and they experience the real life thing, you know. But for us, like for me, this for myself and my students and friends, uh, you know, we're removed from that context. So I'm trying to recreate that context, obviously, like to a digital means so I can, um, you know, reach uh, reach more people, you know. And um and just before we kind of like uh, conclude and tie it up here, I just want to, because uh, I talked about the Sang, the first art, the Shena, the second art, the Meal, the third art. The mm-hmm. fourth art is the art of uh, Pazadan, which means footwork. And this is agility mm. based, ca- cardiovascular, think high intensity interval training kind of. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, which culminates in wording. I don't know if you're familiar with this word or if you have seen the wording Sufis, the wording dervishes, uh, these people that are, they, they, they just like spin around in a circle. They spin, 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 spin for like a long time. I don't know if you're familiar is this, with that. Is this different than a whirling dervish? This is, this is, uh, this is the, it is different. Our method is different, but, uh, the analogy is the same. Like it's the whirling dervish type of, uh, and, and you spin, you spin to the right, correct? Uh, we spin anti-clockwise. Yeah. Really? The, 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 yeah. The, 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 the direction of the universe. Interesting. 
Okay. Yeah. And this spinning or this whirling is our dynamic movement meditation practice. I mean, the whole practice is a movement meditation practice because it's impossible to swing the clubs without being present here in the right now moment, you know? Mm -hmm. So it is highly engaging. And once you are swinging, again, as I mentioned before, with your movement, the breath and the, um, uh, you know, mind being still, it is a meditation. It's a strength meditation. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But um, nevertheless, there is like this uh, movement meditation practice of the world which is the fourth art which is included with the footwork and symbolically it represents the stage of the battle like you know the main battle has taken place you're either being chased or you're chasing off someone you know and uh, that's kind of like where it fits in that reenactment of that uh, ancient ceremonial battle right so that brings us to the fifth art and the fifth stage which is uh, one, one, one second if I, if, if I can sure. I'm, I'm fascinated by the spinning are you spinning sure. in place uh, we have different uh, again there are different practices but yes one of them would be to spin in the same spot and how um because I've done I, I, I've done a, a Tibetan practice where you know the first exercise is is spinning um you spin to the right and and then you know you work up to 21 times and then you move on to the next exercise and you do the next exercise 21 times but how long are you spinning how many times are you spinning because it gets quite intense uh even just doing 21 <laughs> you know yeah no it is it is quite intense i mean uh it's a little bit uh involved to answer that but there's different practices but uh i guess like um uh, long story short is that there are different methods so one is that you spin for as long as you can Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, as fast as you can. There's until you're going to fall you over. Well, until the point before, because right, you're right going over. to the point of falling over, but you're not meant to fall over. Right. Mm-hmm. Because this is developing your balance and um, uh, coordination. I actually give you a, li- a little uh, cool anecdote about that. Uh, it is said in our tradition that this practice comes from uh, when uh, the warrior is surrounded so this is kind of like his final finishing move in a way, uh, that he would take a weapon in each hand and then spin as fast as he can uh, to either break the siege of those who are uh, encircled him uh, or that he disengages from the body. He transcends the body as he's being chopped down. He doesn't feel it because this is his wow. last thing, his last stance, and it's quite beautiful. Your last act, your last stance is to dance. I mean, that's phenomenal in itself, right? <laughs> that is really cool. I, I, I And I, I agree. I think that there is tremendous application to spinning in, in, in helping to offset the increase in neurological and neurodegenerative conditions that we face today. If people just you practice spinning. You're right, man. You yeah. are so right. And you hit it again on the head there because fall prevention. Simple mm-hmm. as that. As we mm-hmm. age, the neurodegenerative process is taking place. What's the main cause of death for old people? A broken yeah. hip. They fall exactly. over and they break their hip. And then within three de- three years, they're dead mm-hmm. because they're afraid of moving. And you don't move. You don't use it. You lose it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Life, you got to use it. Yeah. You know? So it is fall prevention. It is fall yeah. prevention. Yeah. You know, a balance I- and uh, ankle, ankle proprioception, you know? 
and 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 not moving in these just linear planes, but but right. circular planes, spinning clockwise, Correct. spinning counterclockwise. You know, it, it, it's, it's it's there's 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 huge applications there. So um, a lot yeah, to it, I, I a lot to that. it. So um, um, just like uh, briefly before we run out of time, the fifth art is the art of the cabode or the steel bow. It's a bow, mm. a steel bow that's got a chain attached to it, and we use that to swing it again in a circular way overhead this time. So we're swinging it for overhead range of motion and strength. And mm-hmm. uh, it symbolically um, represent the stage of the siege when you're sieging like a castle or a fortress or whatever. And you've seen this in movies when they're throwing things on top of the wall on top of your head and you're meant to be able to protect overhead range of motion while doing a throwing movement uh, representing you throwing the rope over the wall. So it's very symbolic, but it's also very functional. And um, uh, as the story goes, is that you're now climbing. We, we, they used to do rope climbs as part of this practice. You know, right? That's kind of like a little bit fallen out of fashion. But really? rope climbs. And then the sixth stage is the stage of wrestling or the koshti, as we refer to it. And uh, this is like one-on-one wrestling. That's the combative aspect of the art that I mentioned. So these five arts that we practice, these five physical practices, is the warm-up for the sixth one, which is wrestling. I, I mean, I don't think it's the world's oldest. I mean, it is obviously the world's oldest martial arts conditioning system. It may be the most complete conditioning system. Including, including, what, including what today is considered at the forefront of science, a lot of that stuff does not work and is not in any way comparable to this. Where if you if you if you take someone that's using like these fancy devices and they're just pushing a lot of weight on, you know, there's an there's there's this ARX machine that's like super fancy and tells you how much weight you're pushing and this and that. I, I'd take no, anyone I that I trains mean, on the ARX machine and someone that trains in Persian yoga, and I'll put the Persian yoga guy against them in a bet. Yeah, I mean, uh, thanks for that observation and saying that it's a little bit of a Rocky Four situation, right? You got the high tech uh, yeah, Russian yeah. guy. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that Rocky's but, uh, running, running in the snow, hanging by his ankles, doing 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 inverted sit ups and that sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Right. So it's a little bit of that situation. But let me just say this. okay? Mm -hmm. it is the world's oldest running form of martial art conditioning practice. It's not the world's oldest one because there's older ones, but they're not used anymore. Some of them, you know what I mean? This is the oldest still continuous. And Mm -hmm. there's a very important point to be made there, because if it did not work, if it did not produce a result, the passage of time is ruthless. It would be extinct. And if it's not used and not producing result, it just gets forgotten like everything else. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? So the fact that it's been around for over 2000 years is a testimony to the efficacy and effectiveness of this, um, uh, of, of this system. And, yeah. uh, this, sorry, you want to say something? No, I mean, I, I completely agree. I, I I've hit, right. I've hit a point in my training where I'm like, I'm a little sick of yoga. I'm a little sick of yo- of running. I'm a little sick of, of weights. You know what I mean? I'm just like, it's it's all it all feels a little bit too. I don't I don't even know the word, but you know it, it was you great over, when I, I was, it. it was great when I was twenty and 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 that sort of thing. Yeah, but yeah, like yeah. I feel like I need something else, and it needs to feel more functional, but also yeah. neurologically engaging and neurologically relevant. Well, you found it, my friend, because uh, Pahlavani or Persian yoga, uh, you know, 
bridges the gap between strength conditioning and yoga so very beautifully and as i already mentioned in our fourth art it also involves and it's it's it also includes like uh high cardiovascular engagement uh you know um, conditioning and you know practicing with the meal just swinging the meal for five ten minutes it's like you went to, you went on a jog but with your arms you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, yeah, it, for sure. You you build like a heart rate of about like uh, sixty to seventy percent uh, of maximum heart rate as you're swinging these things, which has been proven um, um, scientifically that it's the optimum kind of like uh, range for cardiovascular um, um, developing cardiovascular uh, stamina. Um, last question before I kind of you know give you a chance to share anything else that we didn't cover or and 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 where people can um you know get involved with persian yoga and follow the cool things that you're working on um how did persian yoga impact your life and your fitness uh, physically and spiritually uh, thank you for that question i mean it is my life i have found my purpose in uh, persian yoga it is a way of life actually like for those who practice this art i mean it is a love story like i fall in love with it completely it is my, my whole life is uh, around uh, this uh, my whole life is around being a father first but then second it is this uh, pahlavani system uh, it's uh, made me really come into myself, finding myself, knowing more about who I am and knowing who I am in strength. And that's very important, you know, that's very important to know your strength. You know, it's very important. And um, it's really opened up for me a continuous education, continuous learning and evolving kind of like a system or method that uh, you know it grows with me and it really um, caters to my needs uh, based on where I am let me give you an example so when I'm very strong and I feel very very on top of everything everything is going great I'm doing my big meal I'm pressing the shields it's a very objective measure of your strength where you're at right but then you know, life is not always up sometimes it's down as cyclical and uh, recently like in december i had my the misfortune of having my first disc herniation and uh, that was related to work not because of my uh, uh, training but within three four weeks i was back into my training and within three months and actually, exactly almost at the three month mark, I was stronger than when I was before the injury happened. And it's all thanks to uh, Pahlavani and Persian yoga because it is uh, so, um, it can be so gentle to your body, but it develops it so profoundly strongly. And um, it's very, as I mentioned, integrated. And I owe my kind of like uh, strength and um, strength to get on with life to this practice. And I can, uh, I can, you can, uh, let me say it this way. In the Zurkhane, you can see a seven-year-old boy practicing next to a 77-year-old man practicing next to the wrestling champion of the nation. You know what I mean? Mm. It's a very um, adaptable practice that you can scale back and up depending on where you're at in your life journey and where you're at in your strength journey, you know? So um, 
most it's very challenging still most people can do it i've seen some people that cannot do it you know uh but um, they, i think they should be able to do it because pushing you like for example some people can't do push-ups i mean that this is very tragic you can see young men they can't do push-ups these days uh, pushing yourself off the ground is the first act of humans you know we got ourselves from crawling on the belly to standing on our uh, both two feet planted on firmly on the ground this is what makes the evolution of human is up and forward you know what 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 type of man what type of listener would thrive and really enjoy persian yoga this if is a guy's a like listening question. and he's, he's kind of trying to decide like is this for me yeah no this is a very good question um, um the answer that comes straight from my heart is the heartful man is the authentic man is the man who is a seeker is the man who is this is the art for the thinking man for the evolving man you know if you want to practice that grows with you and it has like a really rich and vast history that you can dwell into and get inspiration from and uh, derive strength from this is it this is the one for you if you don't have um, i mean who has time these days but if you don't have time to go to the gym you know and you don't need that environment you you can train on your own like you get up and this is what i do i get up in the morning i do my practice in my backyard get some sunshine you know uh, if the weather allows it and then um, uh, get on with my day and the whole process takes almost less than an hour you know then this is for you if you want something that conditions your body from every aspect including the spiritual then this is for you this is for the heartful man i like that i like that i feel like it's it's very like fortuitous synchronistic timing too because like i mean even today i i i you know, went and was doing yoga in the backyard. I, I don't do yoga on like a yoga mat. I do it barefoot, you know, connected to the grass and that sort of thing. And I was like, you know, like I said, I taught yoga years ago, but I don't feel the same excitement for it. You know, and I was bored in like 20 minutes and I was like, all right, I'm done. You know, and I stopped after like 20 minutes and, and, and I feel like, you know, this with the integration of the different tools and implements and the variety and there's conditioning and there's strength and there's there's the spiritual component and all of that like it, it, it's it's holistic dare i use that it's word it's a whole world man it's a whole world but let me just say something about that you know the, why you may have felt that way towards yoga because uh you know you're that type of man you are you are shaping a diamond a diamond to be shaped needs friction it needs resistance like when mm -hmm. you do body weight stuff you can get resistance to a certain level and then you plateau you mm -hmm. need external resistance and that's where our tool come in but it is very different to just dumbbells this is a smart belt like it's you use this in <laughs> circular ways you use it in patterns that mimics uh, real life and it's like functional in the sense that it develops your grip strength and endurance and core stability, gives you great posture and provides the appropriate resistance based on where you're at with your strength journey. I mean, you can't beat this. This is really, really um, amazing. And I hope that uh, you and um, a lot of your listeners will experience it. Because as I said, I can talk about this until the cows come home, but it's in the experience that uh, is uh, relevant. And when you uh, experience the profound power of uh, Pahalavani or the Persian yoga practice, then you will come and teach me about it. I like it. I love it. Uh, Dr. Kashi Azad, this, this has been a great conversation. I've, I've, I've truly enjoyed it. And, um, I, I'm, I'm sure our listeners have too, guys, if you've enjoyed this conversation, the, the best thing that you could do is a share it, 
share it with other people who will resonate with the message of, of, of what Dr. Kashi has shared and Persian yoga, and then go, uh, go, go to persianyoga.com. I I've got the, uh, the, the music, the, uh, six kilogram meal, the clubs, uh, the large push-up board, the Persian yoga fundamentals manual, uh, and the, um, I'm, I'm going to mispronounce this, but the, the, the Kabade, the 10 kilogram, uh, the bow, the steel, yeah, the steel that's bow. the steel bow. Yeah. That's the steel bow. I would recommend the 12 kilo for you. I like, oh, get the 12. All right. So I'll get the 12 and then, and then I'm, I'm going to come back for the boards. Um, and, and I'm excited about this. And if you guys are too, yeah, please share this up. Please support Dr. Kashi and, um, and his website, Persian yoga. You can also follow him on Instagram, which is where I found out about him, uh, at Persian yoga.com. And, um, Dr. Kashi, Thank you. My pleasure, man. It's been a really pleasure to chat with you. Thank you for listening and thanks for your listeners also. Let me know if you guys have been experiencing more of any of the following than you used to. Brain fog, difficulty staying focused, fatigue, muscle weakness or changes in balance and coordination, mood fluctuations, apathy or lower motivation, sleep issues, changes in sex drive or function, or increased sensitivity to certain foods, or just more digestive stuff going on in general. Now I ask because these are all warning signs that your brain may be struggling. Any one could be an early indicator of serious things to come, and if ignored or left unchecked, especially if you're experiencing more than one, these could significantly increase your risk of dementia, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, these neurodegenerative diseases uh, that include cognitive decline. The secret to unlocking the full potential of your brain comes down to three simple steps. One, precision diagnostics. This is why in our coaching program, we use the most sophisticated brain and neurocognitive testing on the planet. You then fix the deficiencies, those hormones, neurotransmitters, and nutrients that may be out of balance. And then you clean up the toxins, the stress, and the inflammatory microbes that may be interfering and making the whole process less efficient. I'm going to do two crazy things that I've never done before. I'm offering a 100% money back guarantee, meaning if you follow the prescribed game plan that you and I create together and don't experience a significant, trackable, measurable improvement in your memory, processing speed, mental clarity, mood, and quality of life, I don't want your money. I want to give you a full refund. But stick with me because I'm going to level it up even more. If your increased energy, brain health, and mental performance doesn't help you earn at least as much additional income as you invested in the program, I'm also willing to give you a full refund. I wanted to do this so that you know that you have absolutely nothing to lose, everything to gain. If you want to level up, go to biohackercoaching.com. Thank you. <laughs>